0: It's always such a joy, yes, to be in the house of the Lord. Hey, let me give you a real quick announcement. Do not forget that this Wednesday night there is no evening dinner and no evening service. If you show up Wednesday, well, you'll be by yourself and you'll be fasting as well. So uh, just know that that uh, we, we always take the Wednesday night off before Thanksgiving because we want you to enjoy that time with your family and your friends. Uh, here at River of Life, we really don't feel that we're a church, we feel that we're a family. And uh, we want to encourage you to spend that time with, with family and friends. So just remember that this coming Wednesday. You know what's crazy is that they have this uh, tradition, and I'm not sure why. I, I tried to research it and couldn't figure out. But, you know, it kind of dates back to the 19th century that when couples get married, they they'll take the top off their wedding cake and then they freeze that booger for a year. And then they're supposed to eat it a year later. Initially, I think it was supposed to back in the early 19th century where they were, most women had gotten pregnant during their first year of, of marriage, and then they would, uh, when they had christening of their children, they would eat that cake. Uh, we've kind of since then kind of rolled it over into saying on your first anniversary you eat the cake. And I'm not tr- figuring out why because that cake is not good. <laughs> you know, I I remember when I ate. On my first anniversary, my wedding cake, it it did not taste like it did the day that we had it. Although I can obviously say the day, uh, at least on that day, it was a little nicer because the first time I had cake, it got a little messy. Sarah, um, you know, the first time I ever ate cake, it looked like this. Um, But anyway, you know, we have this tradition and, and the leftover after years just bad. Well, let's take that to now. Could you imagine for me, you know, Thanksgiving is Thursday. And a lot of us have traditions at Thanksgiving. A lot of us will have family and friends come over. And, and we've done this for years. Like you may be responsible for cooking the pies or the cakes because you are the perfect pie and cake maker. You know, or you may cook the green bean casserole or whatever. Some of, like everybody has this thing where they're skilled and good at. You know, and we look forward to Thanksgiving because we feed our faces till we're like sick as we can be. And it's great. But let's just to suppose this Thanksgiving, it's a little different. Let's just suppose you're going uh, to that person's house you normally go to. And what you forgot was that last year, because of COVID, they didn't have Thanksgiving. The problem is they had already made Thanksgiving meal ready. So what they did was they just froze it. And so now as you come into the house, rather than smelling the aroma of that pumpkin or pecan pie, rather than smelling those rolls or the turkey cooking, you don't smell anything. And they say, welcome. Hey, I'm so glad you're here. You know, I was thinking we do this every year and I just wanted it to be easy this year. I had this leftover from last year, so we're just going to have leftovers. How would you feel about that? You feel cheated, wouldn't you? you you would feel like second rate like you've been undermined cuz you were waiting on that fresh baked turkey that fresh baked pie but you know what sometimes you and I do that exact same thing with the lord we give him our leftovers we give him our second best rather than giving him the best and so the title of my message this morning is no leftovers you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis is the very first book in the Bible. And we're going to read a story this morning where two men came to worship the Lord. And both men had completely different outcomes on this experience. And it was all based upon how they worshiped the Lord. Genesis chapter 4, Verse one says this. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of his firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right... Then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. So here we have a story of two brothers. One is a gardener, the other one's like a herdsman slash hunter. They grow up in the same house, are taught the, the same rules, and now it comes time to worship the Lord at their yearly harvest and we have two different approaches from two brothers one turns out very well and one turns out bad and the reason why one turned out bad was because Caleb the gardener decided to come to worship the Lord half hazardly not prepared casually and just really, to be honest with you, just came almost as if it's the last minute thing, I better do it. And we get all this. If you look at, let's go back to verse three. Let's look at verse three. Notice what it says. It says, when it was time. Now, I want you to understand that, that the Bible makes it pretty clear that this wasn't the very first time that Cain and Abel had come to bring the harvest to the Lord. It didn't say in the very first time. It says when it was time. So we can pretty much perceive that These men had been doing this for a while. In other words, it wasn't like Cain didn't know what to do. Cain just decided not to do it. It wasn't like Cain didn't know how to prepare. It was the fact that Cain just didn't prepare. And we have the same story in in really in Matthew 25 about the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins. It wasn't like the five foolish virgins forgot their oil. They had oil to start with, but they did not bring extra oil when the groom delayed in coming. What that tells us is that they had been to weddings before and they just thought, oh, he'll be here by eight, nine o'clock. We're fine. Don't worry about bringing extra. In other words, they did not prepare to meet the Lord. And what we see here from Cain is that Cain just pretty much put God on the back burner. Now, let's be honest, and, and I'm guilty, and you're probably guilty of this too. There have been times you're like, oh, my stars, it's Sunday morning. I got to get up. I got to go to church. Like you forgot about it. You just got up late, and then you're like, okay, I'm good. I don't have to take a shower, and you're trying to get your makeup on, trying to get your hair dressed. Every Sunday we wake up. You ought to wake up with the anticipation that I am meeting the king of the universe. I'm meeting him. Not like I'm going to have to go to church today. See, this was Cain's attitude. I am going to do this harvest thing. We do this every year. I guess I'll do it again this year. And what Cain did not understand who he was approaching. Because we also see where it says that Cain presented some of his crops. Some. In other words, we get the idea that Cain was running late or Cain just didn't think about it. And rather than Cain bringing the best of his crops... He just found something around, lying around in the field, lying around the house, and he brought it and presented it to the Lord. And that's what got him into trouble. To be honest with you, that's what's going to get you and I in trouble. When we decide to put God in second place in our life, when we decide that God's going to be the leftover, I'm always amazed of how hard people will work to go out on the weekends, how they prep, how they prepare, and yet they spend none of that time preparing to meet Jesus on Sunday morning. Now, listen, I am so thankful you're here this morning. And maybe you got up out of bed late and you made it here. Thank you, you're here. But I hope and pray after this morning it'll never be that way again. I hope and pray that you will not take the attitude of Cain. Because what we need to understand this morning when we take that attitude when we take that lifestyle, when we start following that process, nothing good will happen from this. We get this from him. There is, this is not a works-based salvation, what we see from Cain. This is, wasn't like Cain did not work hard enough. Cain did not bring the best of the best, and so therefore I'm holding this against him. What we see, it was the attitude in the heart of Cain that caused him to be this way. And because Cain approached the Lord in this desire, guess what? God rejected him. How about that? God literally rejected him. Look at verse 5 with me real quick. Verse 5 says this, But he, meaning the Lord, did not accept Cain and his gift. And, of course, this made Cain very angry, and he, was, he looked dejected. And, of course, now God's asking the question, why are you angry, Cain? What's the problem? What's going on here? In other words, Cain knew what the problem was. The problem is, is that Cain didn't face the problem. See, God did not reject the type of gift that Cain brought. Cain was a gardener. That's what he was supposed to bring. He was supposed to bring his his first fruits, the best. What God rejected was that Cain did not bring the very first of his fruits and Cain did not bring the best of his fruits. And what you and I need to understand is that if we never, ever give God first place and we never, ever give the Lord our best, you're only going to be rejected by him. You're not going to be accepted by him. Let me make that clear. I know this is harsh, but you need to understand in today's life, all we ever hear is how God loves you. And how you are a sinner and God forgives your sins and you're okay. And I I'm, thank God he loves me. And I thank God he has forgiven me. But you need to hear the other side of the story. The other side is this. If you do not give God first place in your life. If you do not give God your best. You are no different than Cain. You will be rejected. It's just that simple. I don't understand why Cain was mad. I mean, I get it. Look, the golden child, Abel, look at that. God, Oh, my parents always loved Cable. You, you know, he, Abel's just so fine. He's so good. He's the hunter. He's the, you know, and here's put on me the gardener. The pity party. The only reason why Abel was the golden child was because Abel did what God asked him to do. Listen, children... If you want to become the golden child in your home, obey your parents. This is not a revelation or a revolution. It's just simple facts. When you obey mom and dad, life really gets good. I mean, that's all he had to do. If Cain would have obeyed the Lord, he wouldn't have been in trouble. But notice, because Cain did not worship God the way God needed to be worshipped, and then God rejects him. Cain gets upset with the Lord. Now, this is what really baffles my mind. God, I'm mad at you. God, I'm angry at you. I'm angry at my brother. Why, Cain? I mean, think about that. Now, some of you live the same lifestyle today. You're mad at God. You're mad at the world. And you're mad at everybody. You know why you're mad at God, mad at the world, and mad at everybody? Because you're not doing it the right way. Just that simple. What what really blows my mind about this story is that Cain is mad at God and really Cain should be mad at himself. The Lord should be mad at Cain because Cain did not do it the way God asked. And God never asked Cain to do something above and beyond his means. All he said was this. Listen, Cain, when you come to worship me at the harvest, all I'm asking you to do is bring me your first fruits And bring me the best of your first fruits. That's it. God never asks you or me more than what we can give. All the Lord will ever ask of you and all the Lord ever asks of me is to give us, give Him our best. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. We read a story in, in, in Mark chapter 12 about this poor old widow lady, and she brings two coins or a mite. And all the rich people are going like, look at this poor, pathetic woman. That's all she's bringing? And then Jesus replies, she has given more than any of you because she's given her all. That's it. The question for you and me this morning is, are we giving our all to Jesus? Listen, have you ever driven a car that's not running on all its cylinders quite right? Or one of the injectors are clogged and it's kind of sputtering? That'll drive you crazy. Or ladies, have you ever tried cooking in an oven that only one of the burners work? Maybe the top ones burn out and just the bottom. Boy, that's a nightmare in the making. So why is it that you think your life is going to be indifferent when you're trying to run your life, live your life without the Lord of your life in your life? It's the same concept. You're going to be spitting and sputtering the whole way. That's it. That's what happened here. Simple rule. Cain, if you will just give me your best, buddy, I will take care of you. I'll love you. I'll protect you. And Cain did not do that. And when you and I do not give the Lord our best, we are going to be in big trouble. Just simple. The outcome will never change. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear me on this. If you decide to live your life and run your life and place God out of your life or on the back burner of your life, your life will end in an eternal hell, period. Because if he's not first, and if you're not giving him your best, then you're in trouble. Period. You know why some people don't like going to Thanksgiving? You hear people all the time say, you know, I got to go to Thanksgiving. Those family members that I have, oh, my stars. Pastor Chuck, you don't know what I have to deal with with these people. They're just thinking the same thing about you. <laughs> it's, it's no different. So let me tell you how this Thanksgiving can be completely different to you. Because I know why your Thanksgivings are that way. You know how I know that? Because I've been in that place where you've been in and I've done this thing that you've done. And I realize I am a sinner and I'm wrong and Lord forgive me. Because I haven't given my family my best. Listen, give your family your best this year regardless of how ugly they are to you, regardless of what they say to you, if you will give your family your best this year, when Thanksgiving is over, you're going to leave with a smile on your face to one, thank you, Lord. I I feel better. I've given my best. I wish they would have given their best, but that's okay, Lord. I've given my best. Give your best. That's it. That's all you have to do. And let me tell you what, if you'll just give your best, things are going to be completely different. That's what Abel did. Abel gave the Lord his best. Look at verse 4 real quick. It said, Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs of his flock. What separated Cain from Abel was that Abel gave God his best. Abel gave God first place. That's what separated him. You know, if Cain would have approached the Lord with the first fruits of his labor and Cain would have gotten prepped and ready to meet Jesus, we wouldn't have had this story in the Bible. Wouldn't have been there. But Cain, rather than doing the right thing, did the wrong thing and it cost him. His brother, on the other hand, did the right thing. And God accepted him. One of the the greatest... Quotes I think my dad has ever given me, my earthly father. And I've never forgotten this. I can remember this as a young child. This is what my dad used to tell me all the time. Whether it was a report card, whether it was, you know, sports, it didn't matter what it was. My dad would say this, if you gave me your best, I'm proud of you. And, I, and here's, what, here's what was good and bad about that. Because if I didn't give my best, I thought, Man. My dad's going to be disappointed in me. He didn't have to say it. I already knew it. But when I gave my best, regardless of the outcome, and my dad didn't care so much about the outcome. What my dad cared about, son, are you giving your best in school? Son, are you giving your best to the Lord? Son, are you giving your best in sports? If you give your best, son, I'm proud of you. Well, guess what? That's all God wants from you. Just give him your best. Listen, I can't sing like Jessica and Brandon and Catherine, all of them up here. I'm okay with that. And trust me, you're okay with that. <laughs> but then again, I probably can clearly say they can't preach like me. You know why? Because God's equipped me and I'm giving him my best. And just because you can't preach, just because you can't sing, doesn't mean you can't give God your best. And when you give God your best, your world's going to change and the world around you is going to change. After all, God gave you his best. He gave you his son on the cross for your sins. And all he asks from you and me is to give us our best back to him. And when we seek the kingdom of God first, everything else just falls into place. But what you and I need to understand today is that... We don't need to see God as second place. We need to see God as being sovereign. Somewhere in the middle, in the mix of all of our theology today, we've kind of made God like here and we're like here. My arm isn't long enough to tell you how far below we are to him. He's sovereign. He's Lord. And we need to understand he is the sovereign Lord of all creation. And when you understand he's sovereign Lord, you won't have a problem submitting. You won't have a problem following because he's going to bless you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to protect you. Now, will he relieve you of all the adversities of life? Not a chance. But he'll walk with you through all the adversities of life and spare you through them. Because he is your sovereign Lord. Two weeks ago, I had a lady come into my office and she said, I need help. She said, "I'm. I don't have any money. Uh, I've left my fiance. I've got two kids. I'm in school. I'm trying to make things work." She said, "I just need enough money to get through the week. I need enough of an electric bill to be paid." She said, "You can call Duke. They'll tell you that um, I, I pay this every week. I average about seven dollars a day." And she said, "I am trying to get my life in order." And I said, "Are you coming to church anywhere?" She said, "No." I said, "Then you got it backwards." there's no way you'll ever get your life in order until you get God first in your life. No way. I said, if you'll put the Lord first, he'll put everything in order. And she said, you know, it's funny you say that. She said, you know, I've been living with this man for so many years. He's been abusive. And and my father kept telling me, leaving, leaving, leaving. And finally I left him. She said, and I'm so thankful I finally listened to my dad and I left him because my life is so much better. And I said, listen, if you'll now listen to your heavenly father, And you'll come to him. Your life will be so much better. The tears started trickling down her eye. And I said, you know, God loves you and he's sovereign. Do you know how I know God is sovereign in your life? And she's like, no, tell me how. I said, because this is the first time you've ever met me, right? She said, yeah. She said, up until this day, you've never called River of Life. She said, no. So, So nobody knew anything about the needs in your life. She said, no. I said, how much do you need? she said i need 7 dollars a day for 7 days i said so that's 49 dollars right she said yeah i said you want to see how sovereign god is in church this blows my mind i said i have exactly 49 dollars in my pocket i never have just 49 dollars in my pocket and i pulled it out and i started counting it to her and the moment she saw it she broke god is sovereign He has made a way for you to be here today. He has made a way for us. And if you'll learn to love Him, you'll learn to trust Him, your life will be different. What's strange about the situation? I've yet to see her. And you say, how could somebody be that way? Because we're that way. I mean, how is it that Cain could be in the presence of the Lord over and over again, presenting an offering. And all of a sudden, when he does it the wrong way, he gets rejected and he just doesn't understand. Why didn't Cain just say, Lord, I am so sorry. God, I realize how much you have taken care of me and you have provided for me. God, I am sorry. Please forgive me. You know why Cain missed the Lord? You know why we miss the Lord? Because we really don't have a true understanding of sin. That's the truth. Listen to what it says in verse 7. This is what the Lord told Cain. He said, sin is crouching at your door. And that is such a key right there. Sin is crouching. And the reason why it is because, see, when you and I look at sin, we, we, don't, we just diminish it. So this is how you and I look at sin. Look at the screen real quick. This is how we see sin. Some of you in the back may not be able to see it. But in all reality, that's how most of us today look at sin. We look at sin as something that's kind of off away from us. It's real small. It's not that big of a deal. You know, it's, you know, I do this and I, it's no big deal. It's, it's okay. The problem is, is that you and I have downplayed or diminished sin for so long we can't tell what's right anymore. We don't know what's wrong anymore. You know, it's a sad day when the rights of yesterday are the wrong today and the wrongs of yesterday are the rights today. It's a sad day. And what's really sad is the church in America are the ones that's leading the way. That's what's sad. Because we have played sin off. We have diminished it. We've, we've like I said, it's crouched. So what we do, we've shrunk it to this little old thing. We almost think sin is like this little kitten. We, we look sin is like a kitten. Isn't that a cute kitten? Let me tell you why I chose the kitten rather. because cats are weird. I, don't, I just got to be honest with you. I don't like cats. I mean, you can. I, hear, I, I got a testimony in the house. Thank you. <laughs> I'll tell you later if you want to know why I don't like cats. But you can be petting this little cat and all of a sudden it'll just reach up and claw you. Your dog will never do that to you. Only your cat. But we treat sin like this little cat, like, oh, this is a cute little cuddly kitten. My sin is cute and cuddly, and I can play with it when I want to. Listen, I can look at pornography anytime I want to. It's not going to affect anybody but me. You know, or, hey, listen, I can drink when I want to. Even though I get drunk, it's no big deal. I'm not affecting anybody else but me. Listen, I can, this will hurt some of you, I can show up to work And I can be on my phone, texting my friends for hours on end, not doing my job. And it really doesn't hurt anybody. You're stealing from your boss is what you're doing. That's what you're doing. (laughs) Go to work, do your job. But see, now we don't look at that. Oh, no, it's different. Oh, listen, I, you know, the reason why I'm having an affair on my spouse because they don't love me and, and I need this. Do you see how we do this? We treat sin as if it's like a little cute cuddly puppy or cat and we're playing with it. And what we don't understand is that when sin gets into your mind, when it approaches your eyes, when it gets into your ears, it always appears to be helpful and harmless to you. But in the end, it will damn you and destroy you. Satan appears himself as an angel of light. He wants you to think that this sin is a good thing to do. It's the right thing to do. And it's not. But so often you and I get entangled in that. Let me tell you how bad it was for Cain. Cain should have repented in front of the Lord and said, God, I am so sorry for giving you second best. But you know what? Cain didn't do that. And because Cain didn't do that, we read verse 8 and following. You can read it. He killed his brother. The problem with Cain wasn't Abel. The problem with Cain was his relationship with Jesus, and he wound up taking out on everybody and his brother. That's what happened. In fact, it got so bad that when God finally cursed him and pushed him away, you can read this in four thirteen later. Cain said, "Listen, this is too much for me to bear. I can't bear it anymore." The reason why your life is so miserable is because you're engaging in the wrong lifestyle. You're engaging in sin and worldly pleasures. And although it's fun for the moment, but the consequences are far, far horrible. And that's why you're in the mess that you're in. But you look at sin as something not that bad. I'll never forget when I was a junior in high school, um, I was pretty strong. Um, and I remember we went over to Bishop Kenny high school. There's so funny how things you remember things for so long. And I remember I stepped out on the wrestling mat to to shake this guy's hand. And when he shook my hand, it was like, ooh, and I went, oh, this'll be fun. (laughs) I mean, let me tell you what, as a junior in high school, I was, I was, I, I weighed 124 pounds and I was legally bench pressing 225 pounds. So when he shook my hand, I thought this'll be fun. And I got cocky and about two minutes later, he pinned me because I got cocky because see, I did not face my enemy with the understanding that my enemy could hurt me and that my enemy could beat me. I just thought I'll play with my enemy and this will be okay. Just to make a long story short, the following year, I saw him again. This time I had a better idea and I pinned him in 13 seconds. But what I learned, but what I learned was that so often we treat sin casually. Like a puppy, like a kitten, thinking we can pet it, we can tame it, we can use it. And what happens, we see sin as this cute little kitten or as this little thing that's off to the right. That's how most people see sin. Think about that. When's the last time you've been to a funeral and somebody has lived the most awful life ever and they say you know he was a good man because that's how we think it is we don't really see it for what it is and we need to learn to see sin for what it is it is destructive in your life it is damning in your life so because we see sin this way now I want to show you how God sees sin and for you techies you'll get this crystal clear show us sin how God sees it Whenever you get the all caps, exclamation points, that means what? They're screaming at the top of their lungs, letting you know this is, this is how God sees sin. God doesn't see sin as this little cute mishap you had. God sees sin as you severing your relationship with Him. And He's broken because you've severed your relationship with Him. That's how God sees sin. Although you may think it's cute and quaint, It's damning and hurtful and harmful to you. And it's heartbreaking to the Lord because he sees sin in a whole nother light. How do I know that? Well, just ask Cain's parents. All they did was disobey God one time. Just pulled this fruit off the tree and ate it. And got, not only did they die spiritually, they died physically and they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. We read in Joshua chapter 7, this guy named Achan, he was uh, one in the army of Israel and they went and destroyed this land. He's like, look, man, I know God told us not to take these gold idols, but nobody's ever going to miss these. And he tucks them under his robe. They're small. They're not that big. Not a big deal. It's just small, you know, because our sin is small. I mean, after all, I'm not a serial killer or a pedophile. All I'm doing is lying to people. All I'm doing is being lazy at work. What's I mean, there's, there are mounds of difference. All I'm doing is just stealing these few little things. Wind up killing 36 men as well as himself. How about we go to the New Testament in Acts chapter 5. We have a story about a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. They sold some land and all they did was lie. They just lied about how much it, they sold it for. They died. And then there's this story about a man that I read that he was like successful in everything he did. I mean, this guy, if he touched his hand on it, it turned to gold. I mean, he was popular with the women. I mean, everybody just thought he was it. I mean, everybody looked up to him. This guy was it. Well, he had a neighbor, and his neighbor had to go out of town on business for some months. And so the neighbor leaves. Well, one day, he's just out in the backyard, paying no mind, and all of a sudden, he noticed the neighbor's wife, and, don't ask me why she was taking a shower naked outside, but she was. And he saw her. He thought, dude, man, well, he's out of town. I mean, after all, this is it's a one-night stand. What's the big deal? So they have a one-night stand. Well, guess what happens? She got pregnant. He's like, uh-oh, she's pregnant. How do I explain this? <laughs> so he calls his buddy. He says, hey, buddy, you probably want to come on home. So his buddy comes home, and then he says, hey, listen. I know you've been away for a while. Have a good night with your wife. But see, his buddy made an agreement with all of his other friends. When I go out of town to do my business, I will not have relations with my wife. So he wouldn't. He thought, and this is not good. I'll get him drunk. And that, you know, he gets drunk. He'll probably do it anyway. He gets drunk, he wouldn't do it. So then the man panics. He says, what am I going to do? I know what I'll do. He just writes a note. He says, hey, when you get back to business, hand this to your partner, Okay. So the man takes his note, gives the note to his partner, winds up killing him. Marries his wife. They lose their first baby. Does this sound like a familiar story? The man's name was King David, a man after God's own heart. David's life completely changed from a one-night stand. He was the most prized man of Israel, stayed in his castle most of the time, But after his affair with Bathsheba, he spent most of his life on the run. All because of a one-night stand. Listen, church, sin is a big, big deal. And God sees it as a big, big deal. You see sin as a cute little cuddly kitten. And this is how God sees sin. Look up on the screen. That's how the Lord sees sin. Could you imagine walking out in your backyard and having him in your backyard? Listen, the other night, my beagle goes outside and she's making this weird sound I've never heard before. I'm like, what in the world is wrong with this stupid dog? And then I open my gate and lo and behold, there's a bear out in the field. I'm like, oh, I get it. There's a bear. We we get the picture now. There's something going on here. God sees sin like this line. You know how I know that? Because First Peter 5 8 says this stay alert, watch out. Your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. See, sin is not some cute, cuddly kitten, church. Sin is a roaring lion waiting to devour you. And the longer you play with it, the longer you're around with it, the worse it's gonna get. I don't care if you think it's a pet or not. I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of the the, uh, the two magicians that had the, the the tigers. Siegfried and Roy, remember, he died because his tiger turned on him after many years. Trust me, live in sin, it will destroy you. Follow sin, it will turn on you. And worst of all, the God who loves you will probably more than likely reject you Unless you come to him asking for forgiveness and asking for his salvation in your life. We have to learn to understand that sin is a big deal. Our world will tell you it's not a big deal, but it's a big deal to God. And it needs to be a big deal to us. And so today I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. That if you're in the midst of sin right now, you're destroying your relationship with the Lord and you're destroying the relationships around you. And although you may be getting away with it right now, God's just trying to be merciful to you. It would be wise for you to say, you know what, God, I am tired of trying to figure out life. I'm trying. I'm tired of being mad with the world. Lord, I am just tired of being fed up. Why don't you come to the Lord and allow him to make it right? It's just that simple. I get a phone call this past Thursday. And uh, I was told that I, Renee, our secretary said, hey, Brother Chuck, somebody called and says they want to get married. Can you call them back? I'm like, okay. I'm thinking this is kind of weird because we always do marital counseling and those things of that nature. So I I called the person back and said, hey, this is Pastor Chuck. And I hear you want to get married today. And the person said, yes, today. I said, you know, today's kind of a weird day. I said, uh, number one, I'm, I'm not even dressed. I mean, I'm in shorts, a golf shirt, a ball cap. I mean, I don't, I'm not properly dressed to do a wedding. I don't care. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm only going to be in the office for another hour. We can be there soon. Pastor Chuck, we need to be married today because we are tired of living in sin. And we're going to get married today and we wish you would do that. Now listen, church, it doesn't take a theologian to figure it out. If somebody realizes that sin is the lion and today they're going to get the relationship right and make it right with God so they don't have to fear his wrath, that's wise. So Renee and and Pastor Lori, they went over to the children's building, made up this nice little place. This couple shows up and I married them in shorts, a golf shirt and a ball cap on Thursday. Yeah. So with that being said, let me introduce you to Jesse and Megan Free. Yes. I told Megan, I am so proud of you. For somebody to call and say, I am tired. Today's the day I'm getting this over with. We've got our license, Pastor Chuck. We are ready. I thought, yep. See, that's when you know sin is big. That's when you know you need to make it right with the Lord. And they did. Listen, church. Today's the day we make it right with Jesus. Today's the day you say, you know what, Pastor Chuck? I've been running from the Lord way too long. Today's the day I'm going to get my life right. Today I'm going to give my heart to Jesus. I don't want to take the risk of Cain and being rejected. You know what, Pastor Chuck? Today, I have played with sin one too many days. And today, I'm going to leave sin at this altar. And I'm going to walk away. Today, I'm going to join this church family because I need people that will encourage me. People that will help me and inspire me. Today is the day, Pastor Chuck, that I'm no longer going to give God my leftovers. I'm going to give him my best. I want you to see verse 7 one more time in closing. Listen to what God told Cain. But if you refuse to do what is right. Cain refused that day to do what was right. And his life spiraled way out of control. God gave him the invitation right then and there. And, and Cain blew him off. And it cost him his brother's life and his life. Today, are you willing to take that risk As God is reaching out to you today to say, listen, today's the day we lay sin at this altar. Today is the day we no longer are going to be stealing from our bosses at work. We're going to work. Today's the day that we're no longer going to be lying to people. We're going to tell the truth. Today's the day that we're no longer going to be seeking for for drugs and alcohol because we know that Jesus is the answer. Today's the day that I'm going to leave my anger and all of my frustration at this altar because I realize it's nothing to do With the world. It has to do with me and my relationship with the Lord. See that's this day. And the Lord's going to give you an invitation right now to do that. Will you be willing to listen to him. And let a burden be lifted off of you. So when you do that. The Lord will accept you. All God wants you to do is say. Give me your best. Do what Abel did. Say God today I'm giving you my heart. God, today, I'm giving you first place in my life. And and Lord, I'm not sure how I'm going to overcome this, but I know you're going to help me. Lord, I'm not sure how to deal with this, but you're going to help me. God, all I know to do today is give you my heart, give you my life. God, today, I'm going to give you first place. And when you do that, your life will drastically change. Father, thank you. For your word, (laughs) Lord, I sometimes I don't like to read these things, but I know it's for my good. It's for our good. I pray today, Father, for every person within the sound of my voice, that today is the day that we see sin as a lion. Today is the day, Lord, that we will place our faith and our trust in you. Today is the day, Lord, that we're going to give everything over to you. And we're going to put you first in our life. Listen, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, it's just this simple. Just repeat after me. Just say, dear Jesus, I'm so sorry for not loving you the way you love me. Today, Lord, forgive me. Come into my heart and change me. God, today, release me from those things that are weighing me down. God, today, free me from all the addictions that I have. Lord, today, I give you my life. I'm placing you first so that my world will change. Father, thank you today for for your word. Thank you for this message. And I pray right now that souls will be saved and lives will be changed in Jesus name. Amen.